Hello and welcome everyone to the Socially Intoxicated Awareness Podcast. Hi, Toby. I'm good. See, you were saying it there. I was thinking we should have an abbreviation for our podcast. Uh, and I totally think it should be Sotaxapod. Of all the abbreviations I have considered, I fully agree with you that that is the best one. Um, however, I love that it's so unpractical to use this name, which makes it great and like anti-establishment. We might as well call it Rage Against the Machine. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but so- I do like the idea of the abbreviation being almost as like, bad or terrible to say as the actual full name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have many less syllables either. <laughs> yep. Jesus Christ, that's the biggest white glass I've ever seen in my life. What is that? You don't know anything about could half a fucking bottle. Um, okay, so with red I mean, wine, I glasses, don't. let me explain. So for our viewers who are obviously watching, uh, we're going to just announce this right now. We, we've had a lot of questions from fans about um, a video content potentially. So we will be uh, coming to you from a paid platform. Uh, either something like Podcorn, uh, which is specifically for podcasts. We thought we may take our own twist and do an OnlyFans, um, being able to also sell our own feet. <laughs> anyway, back to wine. See the. No, you, we're not. No, I'm we're not going to go back to wine because the whole point about selling feet is because they're such an easy, easy thing to sell. You know, who's recon- There's no feet recognition software out there. You know, but now you know this is linked. You know. You know, people can find us through this podcast, but they couldn't find us through just our feet. <laughs> I, thought you know, I, I upload a foot picture. No one knows it's me. But now, you know, having this <laughs> announced, you know, uh, we'll have our thousands of horny fans scour only fans to see our feet pick. I thought it could raise some Internet activity. Anyway, so um, for the viewers that can't see my wine glass, I'm drinking a wine, a red wine. I have Spanish, so I'm not going to try and pronounce it, but it's a nice one. Um, with red wine, Toby, uh, they try and make the glasses bigger to give it more volume um, because it needs to breathe more. That's what they basically tell you uh, is the, the reason behind the difference in, in the size of a red wine glass and a white wine glass. So now that to your yeah, comment, makes sense. Oh, that's the biggest fucking wine glass I've ever seen. Okay. That's so that's why. So and you probably put it up to the point. Very nice. Means less refills. So the re- that's probably then the imaginary line, right? You have a point where it stops getting thicker and starts getting thinner again towards the top. And I assume the line to which you pour it is the line where that switches so that you have the largest surface area to increase the air to uh, to liquid ratio. And then... Yeah, I can imagine that's it, but I don't... Breath, I guess. I don't specifically know that um, because that's where my wine knowledge really stops. <laughs> so... I've been a part of one wine tasting and that's about it. But like, um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense actually in terms of how far you pour it. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I don't know about you. I have something I want to talk about. Uh, that's surprising because that's usually our I know. problem. I know. Um, the Formula One tests concluded today. And if, if you're a longtime listener, you remember that that was one of the first things we ever talked about Formula One. Uh, which is sort of a shared passion, but me maybe a bit more. But yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk here. Um, Especially uh, for those who don't know, Formula One before the beginning of each season have a three-day, or it used to be a bit longer, test. 
um, as they go around and, you know, they can, without a rate of timing thing, um, can you repeat they what you can said, investigate sadly. how the car behaves under different settings. Uh, you cut uh, out that, for a uh, second. Can you quickly start again from the Formula One? Okay, Not, like um, you introduced Formula One, we've talked about it a lot. <laughs> this is for people who may have fallen asleep or what came to, back from the bathroom just now. Uh, you were talking about the events at practice and testing today for Formula One for the new season. And then you cut. Yeah, I was explaining what preseason testing is, which is um, before the beginning of the proper season, all the cars in proper race trim uh, get sent to a track and they can run around and see how the car behaves under different circumstances without a race, without um, timed laps, um, essentially to test how new regulations or new innovation is uh, integrated into the car. And um, if, if you're a Formula One listener or a follower, uh, this might be quite interesting for you just because um, we are seeing Mercedes not particularly strong, which uh, beckons back to a couple of years ago where they also weren't strong and then absolutely destroyed it in the first few races. So I think it's, it'll be very interesting. Um, maybe we'll see a shift in dominance. Um, we also have for the first time in ages, um, we have the famous abbreviation MSC uh, used, uh, used to be Michael Schumacher uh, is now Mick Schumacher. Um, we have a Schumacher back in the, in the sport. Uh, Michel Schumacher being a huge you know, name in Formula One, one of the most successful drivers of all times, uh, now uh, after Lewis Hamilton. And uh, yeah, just a all-around you know, big German household name. Um, what's interesting is he's the, I think, I believe, third Schumacher in the Formula One. Because Michael was in there with his, uh, was it brother, Ralph? Were they, were they brothers? Yeah. yeah. And then now his son... Mick is in there, so it, it's definitely a genetic thing, I guess. Seems like uh, perhaps. I mean, um, Ralf Schumacher's brother is also being uh, son is also being trained to uh, follow in single seat racing, um, but is currently in Formula Three, I believe. Okay. Um. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely interesting, right? I think with the original brothers, their parents had a go kart track, uh, famously, right? So they grew up with it, and then. Obviously, when, when you're a uh, successful racing driver and you have kids, it's likely going to be something um, that you nurture in them. Especially if the kid develops a passion for it as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, one of, one of the very interesting things is um, we have three rookies uh, this year who are all doing uh, interestingly. Um, Yuki Tsunoda, the, um, one of them, uh, managed to get the second fastest lap of the day, which, you know, in preseason testing doesn't mean that much, but um, I think we have a very promising season under our hands here. Um, also, funnily enough, the Haas car, uh, famously owned by Gene Haas, uh, all-American, in quotation marks, team, is um, racing in uh, Russian flag colors, which did bring a bit of... This is great. Tell this story, Toby. This is amazing. You told me this the other day. I think it's pretty... The story's pretty much over, right? Um, the fun thing is, um, Haas hasn't been doing particularly well, but uh, is historically, you know, this like, um, yeah, huge American, all American, you know, cheeseburgers and bald eagles team. Um, but now has hired Mick Schumacher and uh, Nikita Mazepin to their team uh, to get two rookies in to uh, kind of bet in the future a bit because they haven't been doing in the present, haven't been doing particularly well there. Um, and Nikita Mazepin is son of a Russian oil oligarch, I believe, um, who is uh, now also sponsoring the team. Um, I believe the, well, their primary sponsor is Urakali, 
Um, I would assume that is um, at least a relation there. And uh, yeah, the fun thing is the FIA, the governing body, have recently <laughs> um, decided that Nikita Mazepin, I think, look, uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But um, I think uh, they've decided that he is not allowed to be racing under the Russian flag for one of many reasons, which uh, I'm not entirely sure what the cause is, because we have a Grand Prix in Russia and Sochi. And uh, Putin has uh, famously attended the Formula One races over the past few years. So I'm not sure where, where this now came from. Um, also, Nikita Mazepin came into the sport with a uh, scandal going on, a sexual harassment scandal. Oh. Um, and yeah, the, so the interesting thing is that the, he's not allowed to race under the Russian flag, but <laughs> with the prime sponsor now being this, this all-American team is racing in um, their front um, their front wing is essentially uh, decorated in the colors that are, is the Russian flag, and it's hilarious. Yeah, although Russia and the US, US side note have the same flag, uh, flag colors. They're just fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Yeah, just to, uh, but you I know the, throw that like, in there. The stars and stripes of America versus the three stripes of Russia is a bit more. <laughs> it's clearly leaning towards the Russian I even heard something that um this might have just been a meme on on the formula dank subreddit but um i even heard that for when they took delivery the stars didn't come uh, the star stickers didn't come in time so they couldn't make it the american flag so maybe that's it you know <laughs> but i think it'd be really Haas, that probably was the issue no stickers made in american um interesting so what would you say are the three most Looking ahead to the new season, if you were to summarize it in three to five like points and highlights and things that are interesting and maybe new, what would you uh, summarize those two? Or what would you? Oh, interesting. Like based off practice, but also stuff that's happened in the off season. I, I we haven't talked about Formula One in quite a while. And um, is it Vettel already out at Ferrari, or is that after this coming season? No, he's he's at Aston Martin now. He is who right. Aren't yeah. Doing who aren't who don't seem to be doing that well. Um, they had a gearbox issue on day one, or was it day two? It was day two, um, I think. And uh, they don't seem to be doing competitive times on similar sets of tires. But then again, this is preseason testing, and all things are, you know, people. You don't go here to do to drive as fast as you can. No, you're testing new things. Exactly. Um, the things I would summarize that I'm looking forward to most: um, Red Bull seems to have a real challenger. Uh, for the title um they've been doing a hell of a lot of runs they they've been driving around the track for ages um, very successfully there's uh, almost no reliability stuff both uh, max verstappen and uh, sergio paris seem to be doing well uh, so that'd be very toby if you can hear me you have cut out again so i will just take over you continuing that well but i talk about i think they will still you know get all the kinks worked out by the um scott i think you have cut out actually okay well i'm recording so i'm just gonna fill this in in a sec <laughs> um i turned off my camera just to uh, minimize the amount of data our wife has been a little bit weird today welcome to our low budget production over here uh you were saying red bull they have a real challenger because they've been doing a lot of our, we're just investing a lot of time into the, the car parts, but also just running on the track and probably spending a lot of time in the tunnel as well. Um, and Verstappen, he, I, I fully agree with that, man. He's a born challenger. I mean, he's young and ready to go. He has been for the last like three years. 
um, since I really started getting into the sport more with you. Um, so I really see a lot. I'm excited to see. It'll be weird. I think it'll be weird and sad to see Vettel on a different car because it's like, okay, you're done. Um, yeah. But that's essentially I mean, what it the, is. The Aston Martin is, it's a good project, right? If they get it right, it could be a very, very good project for him. Um, He's Ferrari not really. just hasn't been, I mean, he wasn't winning before. Yeah, but Ferrari has the clout, the name to make you feel like you're always contending, which is why the yeah, last but, season was so disappointing for them. Yeah, but then the thing people, you know, obviously we've start, we've watched Formula One for at best the past like 25 years, you know, we don't know, but uh, there were large stretches of time where Ferrari wasn't that successful. I think in the 70s, they were barely doing anything, you know, um, so it's not that unheard of these big three that we've gotten used to, you know, um, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, uh, who've essentially between the three of them won uh, what the past uh, 15 years worth of um, uh, worth of championships, except for um, what were they called? The the neon green and uh, white one that Jensen Button won with an 09. And then uh, oh, M- uh, McLaren has won. Um, anyways, so, you know, so there... There, there is definitely the chance for big car outfits to come in, and Aston Martin's a powerhouse in racing. So is Alfa Romeo. Uh, McLaren is obviously famous uh, for their heritage too. So uh, I'm very, I'm, I think just the cloud isn't going to be enough. Uh, they have to back it up. And I think if it's about the cloud, then uh, if yeah, it's a good thing that uh, Vettel got out of there when he did. There team hasn't been functioning as well they had quite a few um pit stop errors as well uh, in the last season so they've seemed a little inconsistent but ferrari has that maybe it's more of the nostalgia because of um because they build super famous crazy cars you know what i mean Mm. they have they have like whenever you're a kid and you grow up and you're like man ferrari and you see one on the street and like brings that sparkle into you. So I think it has that same clout in terms of like the team name. Yeah, of course. Even if none of the car parts were Ferrari and they just had a sticker on like a sponge, which still means so much. And another team that won, I believe was Braun. Um, and Braun were, is who I meant, yeah. Yeah, and I, they were only there for a year. And I think that's kind of where Haas got their inspiration because Haas is pretty independently financed by some rich dude. Uh, and Braun was the same thing. And then I think Braun went into what now is essentially Mercedes. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. The Braun story is a very interesting one because Braun took over the outfit from Honda when they left the spot. Russ, Ross Braun uh, famously taking it over and yeah. demolishing it for a year. Um, and I, I saw a, well, a, a, smart doc, a, smart, a small documentary piece <laughs> on it uh, where they were saying that the plans that they had been doing, you know, $300 million uh, had been invested into the planning of the whole outfit even before the car was ever built for the first time. So it's such a Interesting thing, yeah, and you're absolutely right. That was then sold on to become Mercedes in 2010. Which, I mean, and then it was added, and then it, then it became McLaren Mercedes, right? I think even at some point, Braun was still in the name the first year or so. But what I thought was crazy is he came in, he won it in his first season, I think, and went out. He wasn't... I mean, Ross, Ross Braun was and still is a big name in Formula One outside of when he had his own no, team. But I'm talking the team. Like, they come in, they have a team, boom, they win. Oh, yes. And he goes out. I think it was one year, right? He won it in the only year he tried yep. to participate. That's Yeah, the amazing. only year uh, Braun GP was in there in the 20s, in the 2000s, uh, they won. That's ridiculous. 
it's it's very very impressive um so and the fun thing is Ross Ron, tell me in terms of personality and the formula one oh i can't tell you that much more about him um the driver he's you see now uh here we go um you cut off you were just no i'm pretty sure so uh i i'm not sure if i mean most formula one personalities drove at some point right um like a uh, total wolf was a driver at some point but i don't think russ brown was ever a big driver um one of the big things russ brown got uh famous with um if as far as i understand um was that he was hugely involved with michael schumacher do- during his time at ferrari right they were kind of this like a uh, dream team between driver and engineer ah. and um then when schumacher left um he went to well i yeah the honda uh, formula one outfit and then when they left uh, when honda left the sport he took over for braun gp uh and yeah won won with that in the first time and since then um I, mean, I would I, I would imagine he was I, he was involved with Mercedes and uh, probably is still to some degree. Uh, let me have a look. Well, as an advisor for sure. Oh yeah, of course he's the sporting director of oh. uh, the whole form of the Formula One uh, of the Formula One. What's it called? Brand, I guess. FIA. Uh, no, I think the. Uh, Ooh, that's a good question. No, the governing body, the FIA, and the Formula One uh, brand are different. But the sporting director is more of a team position. It doesn't matter. Interesting. Anyway, mad respect to him because he just came in and within a year figured out how to manage a team and create a good car that would win him a championship. I think that's such a boss move. And then he leaves. And like since then, he's not been out in public, at least. And it's like, damn, okay, that was cool. Happy retirement. Yeah, or happy getting into a getting into a new position at a yeah very different position than he was before. But I guess that's a natural progression, right? Um, we see Nico Rosberg, who is um, who used to be a driver and is now sort of becoming this uh, TV presenter person, personnel, uh, and is opening his looking. own yeah is uh, opening his own uh, racing team. These sort of things, you know. He's a good looking. German, right? So, like, he fits well on TV, and he can speak fairly clearly, and he has some. And he, he has a huge know-how of the sport, right? Having been immersed in it in the most successful team, yeah, um, for quite a while. Years, and also having a re- close relationship, or however you want to define it, but having a close relationship, good or bad, with Hamilton, who is currently still dominating the sport, which is a big well, thing the, on TV. Being right? the only driver who has beaten Hamilton in the same machinery, if I remember correctly. Or at least who has taken a world championship from Hamilton in the um, uh, in the Mercedes hybrid era? Maybe he was. Maybe Hamilton was beaten by Alonso in two thousand and seven. I'm not. I don't. I'm not sure if I remember. Yeah, but, but yeah, for sure, been their number one go-to guy, kind of right. Well, I mean, the big scandal about Mercedes, or scandal, the big thing about Mercedes when they had Rosberg and Hamilton was that they were getting into each other's way. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, they were fighting for the title so harshly. Um, that they were damaging each other. Yeah, the they process. crashed a few times where they both then flew out. Yeah. I think it happened several times, actually. Yeah, most famously in Spain in 2016, I think. And that was like right before the end of the race, too. <laughs> no, it was it was like first or second lap. Oh, wait, like, but what, didn't they what, have one at the end? 
what you mean is uh, is Austria, and uh, I'm not sure what year. Well, but yeah, where um, do is fucking driving like. Yeah, and Rosberg tried to overtake Hamilton in uh, in turn uh, I guess two or three, um, in Austria in the uh, Lovens no not the Lovens yeah in Austria in the Red Bull ring and they they collided and Rosberg lost a lot of or lo Rosberg lost a couple of positions and Hamilton still won I want to say. I don't know, but like, I actually like that to be honest. Yeah, it's you know it's great to see the highest the level of performance still. And still you have people at the highest level of performance pushing each other to such extents. Well, and then, like, I don't like the necessary... I mean, like, it's cool in terms of team-on-team -team strategy if you're like, you know, where do I position both of my drivers to kind of protect the first place and the, the strategic positioning around that and how can I hold people off uh, using two drivers together? But in essence, you said this earlier, single-seat driving or single-seat racing, right? It's about, mm -hmm. it's about one person and who can get there the fastest, the quickest. And then the throwing the team championship in, it does affect the strategy in each race and in each corner um, quite heftily, like more than you would think, which I think is kind of sad at times. Yeah. While it also provides a lot of entertainment, though. No, I, I mean, I, I get it, right? It's... um. It's, it's the kind of debate that you you watch individuals perform and then um, the performance of one is dependent on more than just their individual stuff. Um, it is a bit of a shame. Uh, sometimes, but then again, motorsport is as much a team sport as it is an individual sport. Um, it's just not as famous for it. Fair. And then, you know, behind behind each driver is a team of 20 and of 20, you know, uh, firsthand workers directly in the in the pit. Um, and strategists and behind all, behind all of them are thousands of people working on the grander project. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Dude, good topic. Look at that. We came rolling in and like, this has been flowing very well. I just want to take a moment to make it awkward and comment on it. Well, that's fine. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, then again, I have said pretty much all, all I wanted to talk about with Formula One. Uh, I'm just very excited to have races on again, you know, um, especially last year where um, COVID kind of pushed the entire beginning of the season. Yeah. Or it was really nice to have to have it to come back to at some point. I think it was one of the first sports that came back. And uh, quite honestly, the Formula One brand has been doing a phenomenal job traveling the world with hundreds of people in a global pandemic and staying as safe as they can get, you know. Yeah, for sure, man. Absolutely. Oops, I tried not to knock the can down, but I did. Um, that's fine. I heard another sport that's been hit very hard. Before. Pardon me? It's fine. I heard you roll an entire cigarette <laughs> during our conversation before. That's funny, though. I didn't. Oh, okay. Not fair enough. Whoa, then it was some other kind of thing. talking into my guitar, so it's echoing back out, and then it gives like a little stringy vibe. This will be a funny... Oh, that might be it. Uh, this will be a funny um, um, quality then. Uh, what I was going to say, another sport racing-wise that I've gotten into over the uh, last couple of years has been um, rally, uh, the mm -hmm. World World Rally Championship. And they've been hit pretty hard by COVID too. Like they had to cancel several races. They had to add a couple ones um, to be able to evade certain places and still have a certain number of races, et cetera. Uh, their supply chains were pretty like fucked for a while and like where they stored certain things, like the logistics of it all. Um, so that would actually be interesting uh, to talk to potentially Norio about uh, a friend of ours we lived with in Maastricht, Itchio, 
um, and his dad works with the rally team. And uh, he's had a couple of things he was t- telling me about just like organizing just simple things like catering and food to be there and how you how you take the cars on a global uh, basically trip, which Formula One does essentially the same thing with more. It's a pretty larger variety, but rally has this thing where it goes, right? It's not one race of 60 laps. It's a whole weekend of like severe different stages and you have to be able to have the flexibility of switching car parts, et cetera. Um, so in essence, I've, I've me getting more into it it has more flexibility and a different kind of anything can go wrong moments than formula one does, which makes it, if not like not more, but definitely um, as exciting as formula one to me, but the logistics of it there, while seemingly very similar are very, very different. Um, Yeah. Especially also the car parts, which I thought was crazy. Yeah. I mean, they, they are completely different beasts, you know, but the, the really interesting thing about rally is, in my, or as you were saying, right, it's, it's so different. Um, it's such a different sport, even though it's, if you were to break it down quite simply, it, it'd be so similar, you know, it's like, oh, car go fast, a long track. But in rallying, you know, you often, you're on, on these tiniest little roads that are a driving challenge, often not even on tarmac, but on some sort of loose uh, gravel or, or ground supply. And it's amazing, you know, in Formula One, you make a mistake, you overcook a corner, Worst case, you know, you lose a couple of positions as long as you don't proper crash. In rally, you overcook a corner. There is yeah. a good chance you're going to be landing in a tree. Yeah, they are. They're absolute madmen. Them and the high speeds uh, motorbike racers are absolute mad Holy people. Shit. Yeah, fully agree. Um, another crazy thing I think is uh, what's another big difference? Formula One to rally. Uh, rally has two people in the car. The connection mm-hmm. you have to have with. So for people that don't know. Um, one guy's slamming his foot on just gas essentially the whole time and that's all really he's doing he's not that important to the whole thing the driver and then there's a guy sitting next to him that is literally in code essentially telling him what kind of corners and what severity are coming up and without him this other dude would be fucked or would have to drive like a third of this the pace essentially because the reaction times that are required at that speed are just not possible without direction but it means you have to um, you have to plan on a certain relationship between these two and trust that they will communicate and between the people. Like it's a f- whole another fascinating thing with which people just skip and rally. People who are like really embedded with the sport, they don't even notice that. They don't even talk about it much, but I think that's a really impressive part. Yep. It's, it's amazing, right? It's a person who for often like tens of minutes, you have to trust your life to while operating a thing that weighs a ton at 60 to 100 160 or 200 kilometers an hour in a track where if you make one big ish mistake there is a good chance you're going to be severely injured you know like the situations in real life where you're like well that car bent around the tree they are seeking the moments before that and fucking raise a track with it it's it's amazing the kind of if that person tells you uh you know medium right coming up uh third gear you you do it you have you trust you have no other choice it's exactly. it's phenomenal and it's, it's amazing how well it works with every single team yeah like insanely yep. well there's never an issue due to communication which is crazy to me i don't know why no it's it's phenomenal um, um 
at the same time scary. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You had such an impressive. I mean, I've gone around so, the ring. So, sorry, yeah, continue with the Nurburgring. I'm, I'm mad I didn't prepare anything. Now. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I've gone around the Nürburgring with my with my dad and the passenger seat, you know, and, I, and that's my father. I've, you know, the man who raised me for the past uh, way too many years. And, you know, he was going, oh, you can you can do this and this in this corner. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to go a bit slower. <laughs> like, <laughs> then you you have a rally driver who's like, yeah, you uh, you know, you can do 120 through that corner, fifth gear, just go full steam ahead. And he goes, ah, okay. And just does it. I'm like, okay, wow, that is that is some trust. Well, because with them, it's like calculated mathematically beforehand. So it's not just dad's gut that you have to trust. <laughs> but I have been in the back seat of that same I car mean, you were just enough, talking about. And I fully get what you're saying. <laughs> no, it's phenomenal. But you were coming up with another topic, I believe. No, well, my topic was essentially getting mad at you for preparing because I don't off the top of my head, oh. I cannot think of enough uh, of a topic because essentially we got drunk last night. So it it's hard to think about things we haven't talked about. <laughs> like what's new this week? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing really. Um, I am in the, actually I've, yeah, this is an interesting topic. I have my guitar sitting here. Um, and I know all the shit for all the viewers that you hear at the beginning is usually pretty shit. Well, it's usually me playing and it's usually the first thing I have and because we don't cut anything. <laughs> the first time I play sounds shit. So um, that's what goes on the recording. But I've gotten so much into writing songs. And I think I've let you know this, Toby, that my brother and I, who's a well-versed guitarist, who's played for several more years than me, um, we kind of wanted to bring out a couple songs on Spotify and kind of just like try and actually complete some songs and we're getting further ahead and we had some cool breakthroughs today um what's really neat is like when you first think of a song the typical pop song it has uh usually there's a verse and then there's a chorus and there's another verse and then either another chorus or a bridge something to like a third different thing and then sometimes you throw a solo in there and maybe like an intro and an outro and that's essentially the the structure of a song but this, this latest thing we're working on, it's really fascinating because we kind of work on one thing and then we, you kind of have to transpose the notes or you got to get something similar sounding to be able to play it for it to sound good. And then we always work on little chunks, but we never come back to where we were. So there's never anything that's repeating. And one of the most famous songs and uh, one of the most popular songs of all time, uh, Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. And in no way am I saying we're writing the next Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven. No, 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 no. But that song, it continuously like gets faster and changes. There's no repetition really in it. So it's really interesting to be like just doodling around and, and thinking of uh, various chord progressions um, and but not doing it by the structure that you think you should. Um, okay. So I know that was a lot at once. I should have maybe taken some breaks. No, I mean, it's, it's fine. The uh, I have two things uh, that I took from that. The first one is I thought... As, as I understand, like the uh, the progression of a of like a rhythm or a melody with something that doesn't fit it, isn't that a punk element? Um, kind of the uh, the conscious choice to kind of jumble your music a bit is that is that what you were going for? Or well, okay, so with punk punk rock at least, 
uh, frequent things that I didn't that you can identify punk as is, uh, for example, if the drums, if you have a song like a band called Tool has this, and they're not technically a punk band, but they have this punk element. Or if you listen to the Sex Pistols specifically, like for, for some earlier punk or Iggy Pop and the Stooges, um, the drums sometimes do these like weird rhythms in the middle of shit where you're like, I can't even sing along to that or hum along because it's so unpredictable. And that's kind mm -hmm. of an anti-establishment thing. But this is kind of just instead of like essentially, I guess you could call it punk because your punk is a, in essence anti-establishment and just going against the mainstream. Uh, mm -hmm. so yes, by that definition, but I wouldn't categorize it as such in this case, in like what we're doing. Okay. But I've honestly, okay, I've honestly, like in one of the things that I've been listening to recently that I've been listening to the first Dirty Nil album, it's called Higher Power. It's, oh man, I recommend it. It's such a good album. Um, it came out in 2016, I believe it has some songs like Zombie Eyed and, uh, um, God, I can't. Uh, Friends in the Sky is a really good song. Um, Bury Me at the Rodeo is another banger off it. Anyway, uh, so I've really been inspired by by the kind of music and melodies they have, um, as well as like Cigar Club and a little bit of Royal Republic, because Royal Republic features a lot of pop elements. But Cigar Club's guitar is so crazy um, in terms of the way you feel when you listen to it. So it's been really nice to kind of I don't know. It feels like it's coming full circle and it's a fun project to work on. Just like this podcast, it's cool to be able to have people or to have the option for other people to choose to listen to you. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Put it that way. I'm no way saying I'm an artist. Go listen to other shit. I'm not good, but like, it's fun to be able to put your shit out there. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, if, if I may, I'm just thing i wanted to talk about do you know the axis of awesome song uh the was it the same four chords or something like that yeah. where they pick a um a progression song of song, songs and then they sing a, yeah it's all the same ones which which i always think is super cool right because if you don't because you you're super into music theory uh but i'm not and then you know this is always extremely surprising for me it's like oh wait a minute this sounds so similar yeah wait actually i think mm -hmm. i know the whole song if you start playing it now we're gonna have to start looking into copyright <laughs> wait i think it's a c a d a g and an e minor and then they just continue that uh, very possible I think everything's in there. There's Bob Marley to Lady Gaga in that song over U2 and Coldplay and I don't know, everything. Yeah. It's dope. No, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's always super interesting to see, right? Just how similarity would still be completely unique. And that's just, that's just awesome. You know, it's like language. Uh, you have what a certain amount of sounds and then you completely combine them and suddenly you come up with works of art and poetry and music as well it's it's beautiful and what's so cool about the axis of awesome thing is um 
like for people who want to kind of like, I don't know shit about actual music and notes and all that stuff. Um, but you quickly get more confident in yourself because all of these songs that where you're like, oh my God, they're the best songs ever. Um, you quickly realize that you can play a basic version of them very easily. Like a song that's really cool that everybody loves is um, Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows it whenever you play it, but it's it's like four chords. It's super fucking easy. And I don't know. And then it's like four more things on one string to do the solo. The so like, I don't know. Um, it's really nice to be able to find that song and be like, oh, I can play the whole song because it's, well, it gets very boring to play. Yeah. No, it must be really cool. It's I, I imagine it to be almost like a language literacy. You know, you just suddenly start developing more feeling and understanding for it. For sure, for sure, absolutely. Um, Toby, we're both. This is cool. This doesn't happen too often, but we're both wearing a cool band shirt right now. And if you subscribe to our OnlyFans, you are, will be able to see a picture of our T-shirts. Um, what's describe the story behind your T-shirt, please, and what it is. Um, sure. So I'm wearing a Billy Talent t-shirt um, from a charity concert they did in uh, the Schlachthof concert hall in Essen? No, not Essen. I believe it was Wiesbaden. Yeah, that's very well possible. Yeah. Anyways, um, uh, Scott's friend um, knows or, or knows their former uh, tour manager, so um, it was possible for us to attend. And um, we went um, and they were playing a charity concert for um, their original drummer who suffers from multiple sclerosis, um, neurodegenerative disease, um, uh, where essentially, um, yeah, it's uh, uh, an autoimmune kind of thing where um, essentially the myelination, the, um, the, the sheath of your neurons are, are attacked by your own body. Um, terrible progressive disease Um, but he's still able to play the drums just not as much Um, we went there and we had a wonderful drive down and uh, we got these t-shirts which have the lovely label of the um, charity tour uh, uh, fumes or f-u-m-s which is pretty cool and yeah we got them there and we managed to meet the band after which was phenomenal um, and we saw uh, Iggy Pop Kids there too. Uh, it, uh, sorry, Itchy Pop Kids. Uh, I was German like, wait, we saw Iggy Pop? <laughs> German uh, rank, um, punk rock, uh, popish kind of stuff. Very, very good. Uh, really check them out. And yeah, it was, a, it was a great night. I was driving back, so I wasn't able to have uh, more than a beer with the guys. But uh, yeah, no, it was great. What, was, um, what I'll add to that is um it was a charity show and it was for a charity that aaron the the original drummer that's his charity that he created and they like throughout since he's created it they've always given a certain amount of revenue of whatever they have to that charity um and yeah he called it fuck ums which is like the best possible name for a charity honestly i think it's great and they it was an amazing evening too and i think we got there just to see like itchy's last song so Itchy Poop Kids changed their name to Itchy at some point. And um, it was neat. And uh, we were briefly able to also talk with Aaron. Um, actually, I think we did. We chatted for quite a few minutes. And, uh, like, dude, we were, we stayed backstage with them for like a good hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, it was 
I don't remember because I was drinking a lot and then there was other things going on. But no, we stayed there a long time because the concert. I think we were there till like at least one or two. We arrived back in Bonn at around two, which means we probably left there around one uh, around twelve thirty, and we had like a half an hour walk to the car. So yeah, we stayed there quite a bunch with them. Yeah, and the con- I think the con- what does it does is the time of the concert on your t shirt too. <laughs> when when. <laughs> when did they open? Uh, it was, oh, dude, dude, it even says the location. It was in Wiesbaden in the Schlachthof, uh, 16th of August, 2018. Wow, it's, wow, two and a half years. Yeah. Okay, how good is Billy Talent as a live show? I fucking mean. Fucking phenomenal. Fucking phenomenal. They blew the chili peppers out of the water, quite literally, at Rock Ring 2016. Like, yep. holy shit. That may have been due to our intoxication levels. However, no. I doubt it. I think Billy Town's music got me out of my intoxication level. And we, we've seen this since, and they were as good. Dude, I've, I've, I think I've seen them live seven times, and they're every time they're the same, and I just get so energized. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were, they were really, really good. Um, the thing that really fascinated me about them uh, when we saw them at Rock am Ring was um, how you know all the bands we'd seen you were you could tell they were performing live and it was different than when they were performing uh, in the studio with Billy Talent even though you saw you know the sweat on their on their foreheads and you heard you know them put things into the song that are normally not there as like extensions they it was it was like listening to an album on the best possible sound system in the world and the best atmosphere of the world and that's how that's how seeing them live is you know it's it's like the it's the perfect experience of listening to their music so this is actually a really interesting point because um people some people appreciate studio albums more than they do live music and we had brownie mirror on here and cigar club says the same thing that they love playing live a lot more than being in the studio. And I think most artists would say that because you can interact with people. But with Billy Talent, you're not expect like, I don't know, when I get, when the newest album, Afraid of Heights uh, came out, right? That was like the first new music where I was like, oh, okay, new shit, that's awesome. Um, I expected them to sound like they were live on the studio album, not vice versa. Like, I don't think when I see them live, oh, I hope it's gonna sound like on the recording. I kind mm-hmm. of, it's the opposite way, which is funny. Um, Led Zeppelin were a band actually they never played their songs live the same way on the as it was on the recording which made it such a crazy experience but people were often I'm not going to say disappointed but I guess a little taken aback maybe yeah they had different expectations yeah and I don't know that for sure I mean I've read a little bit and this is fucking almost 50 years ago so like you know who knows but like I don't know. It's a with Billy Talent. It's very impressive. You kind of expect that they will be as good on the record as they are live. Live, they are the best. It's amazing. Yeah. No, it's it's if you have the chance after COVID, uh, really, really go see Billy Talent. If you're into this kind of music, it's it's such an experience, man. Just in general, go see live shows, man. Support artists. Just just go there and have a good time and be be energetic, be happy. Let the moment take you, and you know just. Absolutely. Just enjoy. Absolutely. Just enjoy. I can't wait for concerts again, man. Yeah. I'm psyched. And Hurricane was canceled. Oh, that's something we can talk about. <laughs> Although I think mm-hmm. that was last week. Um, however, we recently got the... We have had tickets. I think we bought them in 2019 still. 
Um, yep. And it, it was for the Hurricane Festival, which is, you could probably say, the second biggest rock festival in Germany, at least, and one of the biggest in Europe. And it's about attended by 80 to 90,000 uh, people. Uh, and it's been around for quite a while. Um, however, it was obviously canceled last year, and uh, it was going to be this year then. But didn't turn out as such because it was canceled a week ago. So we're going to have to wait till next year. Great. That's a good topic. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a damn shame, you know. Especially because um, you now can't go. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. I'll be, I'll be in Japan when, um, when the new date happens. And it's like, hmm. Well, that sucks. But I, I do wonder how many, how many of these, you know, uh, I don't want to call it a procrastination, but like how, how many of these pushing it back the industry has left in it, you know? I, I'm surprised they had it in them to postpone it already because yeah. last year they postponed it in April. So I'm, but I guess, honestly, their main reasoning, they were like, yeah, well, COVID situation in their, in their official statement. Yeah, there's a, you know, the COVID situation, as you know, da, 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 da. And then they kind of name a few points, but most of them are like super ambiguous. And the one that they mentioned is due to the delay in vaccines. And it's like, oh, thanks, Germany. Uh, and that's essentially what it boils yeah. down to. Um, yeah. 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 So music. I, mean, I can't wait for live music. No, neither can I. Neither can I. It'll be, it'll be fucking great. I recently learned that the, the city uh, in Japan I'll be going to, Sendai, is apparently um, known for having early morning J-pop. <laughs> Uh, concerts which sounds uh, phenomenal so you go to a concert at six in the morning and then you have an hour or two of, of music and then you go out there and the whole day is ahead of you and you've just been to a concert which just sounds absolutely wait, wait, mad wait. this is a thing now or pre-covid uh pre-covid that's awesome what's what i remember in um japan actually talking about talking about j-pop which is so fun to watch honestly like regardless of the music it's such a good vibe i don't know the, and the cool thing is about j-pop and also k-pop is that the groups they consist of like 15 to 20 people and in j-pop i think it's even more people than k-pop on the stage at the same time and when i was in japan uh like especially in tokyo they had i don't know one of the groups had a new album coming out so they did these promo things and in japan what they frequently do is they send uh like like cars around town or buses around town that have a huge trailer, which with a big like digital billboard on it, playing a video or something. And then they'll have massive speakers blasting the music. And on some cases, it's actually them, the singers and the band on the stage that happened a couple times uh, throughout my uh, travels uh, in Japan. And it was hilarious, but like so fun. It's, it's like great street music. <laughs> yeah. Just lift your spirit. So I can see that being the perfect pre-work thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would love that. <sighs> okay. Is that, a, is that a bombshell? Is that a bombshell? I don't know. Do you have any other bombshells? What were you drinking today, Toby? Uh, Feltins. Uh, German, German beer that was on offer in the local in the local supermarket. <laughs> Honestly, that shit gave me a hangover. Yep. Well, I think it was also the cigarettes. Yeah, that did yeah. it for me. Yeah, you always get a weird headache. We had. Oh, that's a good thing to finish on. 
Uh, in terms of being more healthy and aware of the environment, Toby and I had our last cigarette of the year today, uh, yesterday. Well, I guess it was today because it was. Yes, it was today. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, we decided it was our last ever one. For yeah. the year. It was fun because uh, the amount of convincing I had to do to get you to finally agree to that was quite extensive. Well, I was thinking, <laughs> what if festivals and concerts come back? Like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, then even then we don't smoke. Come on. Yeah, and then I agreed. So yeah, no, nah, it's fine. We'll see how it goes. Cool. On that bombshell, thanks for sticking with us. I think we did close. Yeah, we're almost at an hour now, so that's perfect. Um, yeah, roughly now. What like What 45. does the future say? Maybe we could give our viewership the people that managed to stick throughout the show and are still here. Thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate you. Um, good news in the future. We will be, um, I guess, partnering with a with fellow podcasters they have a show um toby do you want to name a little bit about that give a little bit of a sneak preview uh briefly um yeah they're called they're called literary luscious they're called literary luscious um we've been talking to them about uh, potentially organizing you know a little um kind of guest appearance um of theirs on our podcast and vice versa uh they do uh, book reviews based on and they have a cocktail with um depending on kind of the story and a book they read, and it just sounds really interesting. They do fantasy and sci-fi stuff. Um, and from what I've listened to theirs, you know, they, they have quite a bit of knowledge behind it. They go into a kind of in-depth, but also uh, easily digestible analyses. And they have a lot of the authors on with them and uh, talk through the books very, uh, yeah, in a very coordinated and uh, competent manner. So yeah, hopefully we can, uh, uh, we can have, a, yeah, have them on here and talk about like life in general and then uh, be on theirs and uh, talk about a book and uh, have a nice cocktail oh i'd love for them to bring uh, their favorite cocktail recipe to uh to <laughs> what, were, what were we going to call it from now on that's a good title for the uh, episode. the uh sotoxapod the sotoxapod that the okay the sotoxapod sotoxapod yep sounds good sounds good yeah i'm really looking forward to that and uh we got a couple other guests in the pipeline I'm happy to make an announcement that Cigar Club are um, releasing their new singles very soon. Uh, their album is coming out April 20th. Uh, I know it's a month in advance, but check the band out already so you can get properly psyched. They will be coming back onto our uh, podcast in uh, right around that time at some point. Um, not quite sure because we don't script anything until Sunday and that's when we start planning an episode. Um, so yeah, on that bombshell, you have quite oh, a bit to look forward to. And um, I think next week we'll do the episode maybe on Saturday because I am turning 25. Sadly, it doesn't co uh, coincide with um, with the 25th episode. That'd be pretty funny. It would be pretty funny, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that. We should maybe just do one every day of the week. This day. <laughs> we can make it happen. We have enough time. Uh, okay. Whatever you say, boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm kidding. All right. On that awkward ending. All right. Um, cheers, bro. Cheers. And uh, have a good night. Have a good week. You'll hear from us next weekend. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>